Good morning. It's so lovely to uh, be with you this morning, particularly in such an important uh, occasion as you dedicate uh, babies uh, to the Lord. So as uh, Gareth has said, I am married to uh, my lovely wife, uh, Jolene, and we are blessed to be parents of two uh, boys, uh, Ezra and Ethan, uh, two and six. Um, some days it feels like we have ten. Um, they, they're full of life and joy, and they're such a blessing uh, to us. So in the week, um, I had Brandon uh, call me, um, and uh, he just called me to express, you know, his brotherly encouragement to me. And uh, you know, I must tell you that he speaks um, about all of you with such love and affection. And uh, I just want to share this with you. Uh, in our conversation, he says to me, um, you know, you, you're more than welcome to um, service in however way you, you feel like. But I just want to say this to you. If anybody leaves the church uh, because they feel of offended with your message, uh, can you be gracious to make up for their giving? Um, and... Uh, like, like a good accountant, I came back with a bargain and I said to him, um, if the giving increases after my <laughs> preaching, won't you be so kind as to send it to Blobeck? <laughs> so I don't know who um, looks after the finances here, but I'm available after my preach to give you our uh, bank details. <laughs> um, if you're planning on leaving... Can I graciously ask you for my sake to delay it until Brandon preaches? <laughs> Great. Uh, but, you know, jokes aside, uh, it's really a privilege to speak to you this morning. And uh, I bring lots of love and encouragement from uh, Common Ground Blorberg. Uh, shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much. And this morning, we, we also reminded that um, we relate to you and we can relate to you as a father, that we can come to you with childlike faith and trust you and call upon you as a father who loves us. And we pray, Lord God, that as we um, come to your word, I pray, by your spirit, won't you speak to us this morning? Won't you do good uh, to us, I ask. Amen. Great. So um, our text this morning is from Jeremiah. It takes us right to the beginning of Prophet Jeremiah's uh, ministry when he was about 16 or 18 years old, as most scholars point to, as he was going about his uh, usual life, and maybe he's still trying to figure out life, and perhaps like some of us this morning, asking questions about purpose and meaning and significance. Am I here for something? Does my life count in the grand scheme of things? Maybe it's not the kind of question that you're asking this morning. You might be saying to yourself, I am kind of too old for that. You know what? Life is a bit hectic at the moment. Uh, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time, trying to survive, trying to keep my head above water. 
So when Jeremiah has this encounter with God, it was as if God had leaped from the background and appeared right in front of him. It was as if God had moved from the margins of his life to God at the center of his life. God became a present and a living reality. In that moment, Jeremiah is introduced to a different way of looking at his own life. Perhaps different to what he'd experienced in the last 18 years or so, or even different to what he had seen around him in a sense where life begins when you're born, and as you get old, you're taught to be independent and to look after yourself in today's terms. You go to school, if you're fortunate, you go to university, and you find legal means to look after yourself. Have as much fun as you can. Settle down, start your own family, grow old, and perhaps have enough money in your retirement to get to do all the things that you never got to do, see places that you never got to see, tick the bucket list as it were. But this encounter pulls us into a different way of looking at life, a God-shaped reality of life where God lays hold of what looks like an ordinary life and invests purpose in it. Hey, I've got a great purpose for you. My hand is upon you. So much of my own plans and purposes are wrapped up in your life. This is quite a familiar pattern in the Bible where God reveals himself to ordinary men and women like us and reminds them that he has invested purpose in their lives. I think of the beginning. We see the story of a man called Abraham. He was old and past his prime by human standards, but not according to God. So God appears to him and says to him, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. And just later on, we see in Joshua 2, the story of a woman named Rahab, a woman with an unsavory reputation who had lived on the margins of society most of her life. And in a moment, she comes alive to the purposes of God and she becomes this central figure in the nation of Israel, possessing the promised land. And it goes on and on in Scripture. So this morning, I want to invite all of you to consider your own life as we look at how Jeremiah, despite his unwillingness, despite an overwhelming sense of his limitations, his immaturity is beautifully swept over by this revelation of being lovingly drawn into the purposes of God. So our main text this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses uh, 4 to, to 12. If you have your Bible, please open uh, to Jeremiah 1, verse 4 to 12. The scripture is also on the, on the screen. Um, so follow as, as I read. The word of the Lord came to me saying, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an omo tree, I replied. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So the very first thing that God says to Abraham, to Jeremiah, sorry, is that I formed you in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So here God reminds Jeremiah that Jeremiah was not the author of his life, that God was. That Jeremiah was living in the middle of a God story. The psalmist echoes this in Psalm 139 verse 16 when he says, Your eyes saw my informed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It reminds me, a couple of weeks ago, we were driving in our neighborhood uh, with Jolene and our two boys, and we came across an old house that we used to live in. And we said to our six-year-old, hey, Ethan, look, that's the house that mom and dad used to live in before you were born. And Ethan said, uh, was it at the time when I was in mommy's tummy? And we said, no, before that. And there was a silence of a lifetime in the car. So this normally chatty boy was totally stumped as he was trying to figure out where was he, what was happening. And what we have here is God reminding Jeremiah, and he would remind us this morning that birth is not our beginning, that God has long known us, God has long loved you and me and cared for us since eternity past. What a reassuring thing for God to say to us that you and I, our lives have long mattered to God. But this also has very practical implications for us. So before we go to ask questions about meaning and purpose in life, God had already crafted the answers that you and I, we no longer need to run here and there searching for answers to life that we can and we must come 
to God who truly knows us. I find helpful what uh, Eugene Peterson, a theologian and translator to the Message Bible, once said. So Eugene Peterson once said this, that my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself, and it is what God thinks of me. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when I met Jolene's parents for the first time. I was nervous like any other boyfriend who is in a serious relationship would be meeting the parents, but I was twice as nervous. So the first reason that I was so nervous was that the very first time I was meeting them, I was going to ask them if I could marry their daughter. So I was clearly a man on a mission. But the second reason why I was so nervous was the question, will they accept me? Um, If you have seen my wife, you'd notice that there's very obvious and visible differences between us. As our six-year-old likes to say, Dad, you're chocolate, and Mom is caramel. But besides the differences in the uh, color of our skins, there is something more fundamental that's different about us in the sense that we come from very different cultures that even up to now, my in-laws do not know how to pronounce my surname. Um, So as I was grappling, thinking, are they going to give me, are they going to give us their blessing? Uh, Jolene's dad saw this anxiousness uh, on me, and he pulled me aside, and he said, you know, don't worry, Um, Jolene's sister has told us everything about you, you know, you just, you can relax, and um, the reality is that everything that they were told was all the good and the kind stuff, but what we see here is a God who knows everything, the good the bad, the ugly, the tidy, and the untidy bits. Yet he loves us the same. What this does for us, brothers and sisters, is that it breaks all the barriers of shame and guilt. It lifts up the pressure to want to prove ourselves, it opens a way for us to be real with God. I don't know where you are this morning. You can come just as you are. There is full disclosure, yet there is complete acceptance. Psalm 103, verse 13 to 14, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows the depth of our hearts, yet he treats us with such compassion. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. What this does for us 
is that it makes repentance easy. It makes receiving the gift of salvation easy. That we do not need to dust off ourselves. We do not need to get our act together. But we can come just as we are. Come now. Let us settle this matter, says the Lord, Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though your sins are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. I think there is more um, here. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We could easily take the foreknowledge of God to mean that God only has the ability to see things before they happen. But if we look closely at verse 5, we see that God did not only see Jeremiah's future, he set it into motion. Before you were born, I set you apart. So God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I called you. I chose you. I did not just create you, Jeremiah. I have invested purpose in you. But this is not only true for Jeremiah. This is true for you and I. Beloved of God, there's a beautiful reminder this morning that you and I were made for more. We were made for more than just to keep our noses clean and to provide for our families. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, that we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We carry God's plans for Debenville. We carry God's vision for this city and this nation. We carry God's plans and purposes for this generation. Your life is significant and it is rooted in the purposes of God. Before you were born, I set you apart. I think what is at stake here for Jeremiah and what is at stake for all of us is this question. Do we live our lives based on our own vision? Or perhaps other people's vision and expectations that they've placed on us? Or do we let go of that and embrace God's vision for us. I think some of us this morning, we have lived far too long under the disempowering opinions that we have of ourselves. I will never be good enough. Not me. Some of us have lived far too long under the disempowering opinions that others have on us. Let Paul's attitude be yours this morning. Let Paul's attitude in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4 be yours where Paul says, but as a matter of fact, it matters very little what you 
or any man thinks of me. I do not even value my own opinion of myself. But that doesn't justify me before God. Only God himself is my true judge. Be set free this morning. Be set free to be all that God has called you to be. It's amazing how God engages uh, Jeremiah in this encounter. So firstly, he gives Jeremiah something to think about, a bit of history. You know, Jerry, long, long time ago, before you were born, I knew you. He gives him a bit of science. So for all the parents that dedicated their kids uh, this morning, um, the knowledge that it is God who meets us in our mother's womb is not just good science, it is good theology. So he reminds Jeremiah that it is he who knitted him in his mother's womb. But God does not only engage Jeremiah's mind, he engages his heart as he reveals to him that he has long mattered to God. I find helpful what Tim Keller once said that to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. So Jeremiah wasn't just known by God. He was loved by God. And he was set apart by God. So in a sense, God engages Jeremiah's head, he engages Jeremiah's heart, but he also engages Jeremiah's hands. And he reminds Jeremiah that he had a mission for him to accomplish. He reminds Jeremiah that he had a message for him to take to his own generation. From Jeremiah confronting the wickedness of Israel to him reminding the Israelites of the consequences of life without God. But yet if you read the whole book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah held out, held out so much hope. In Jeremiah, you'll find some of the sweetest and most precious words that God has ever put in the mouth of a prophet. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Inasmuch as we are not all called to be in a specific way nations to the a prophet, a prophet to the nations, as Jeremiah was called, we are all set apart and called to live for the purposes of God. Whether you're old or you're young, whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're a full-time pastor or a stay-at-home mom, we are all 
called and set apart for God's purposes. Firstly, we are all called to love and serve God in worship. 1 Ephesians 2 reminds us that God has destined or appointed us in Jesus to live to the praise of his glory. And if you read Romans 15, 8 to 11, it's all about worship, and particularly verse 9. It says, So that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will glorify you among the Gentiles, as other translations says, among the nations, and sing to your name. So God wants us, wants the world to overhear us worshiping him. So the church is not just the gathered. We are called to go and love and serve the world. We're not just called to worship him in the four corners of this building on a Sunday, but we are also called to sing his praises to that neighbor that we've only waved across the driveway. We're called to sing his praises to that colleague at work who seems so impossible to deal with. We are called to sing his praises to that friends, to those friends or family that look like they've got all their life sorted out without God, at least from the outside. As we bring the good news to them, what Luke refers in Luke 2 verse 10 as the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And we do this by communicating the hope that we have in God and expressing what it truly means to know God, to experience His love, His mercy, and His kindness in ways that can be seen, that can be understood, that are winsome, and that can be embraced with joy. But the gospel does not only convert unbelievers, it also builds up believers. So we're called to love and serve one another in fellowship, to disciple each other to maturity as all of us use our time, our talents, our treasure to serve one another. So in God engages our heads, he engages our hearts, and he engages our hands for his purposes. I sense for some of us this morning, God would say, I see your busy hands, but I want to draw your heart afresh. I want to fill your heart with the joy of being with me afresh. I said for some of us this morning, there is a call to action. I see your heart. I see your love for me. But I want you to stretch out 
your hands. I want you to embrace responsibility. You've been traveling way too light. Do not just take along. You have a part to play in what I am doing in this community. It reminds me, a couple of years ago, as Gareth had said, we lived outside of South Africa for a time. We were in Mauritius for a time. And in that, at a time, we were experiencing so much uh, change in our lives as a family. I just moved jobs. We just moved from one side of the island to another side. And um, we joined a new church. And in that time, there was a visiting couple that was conducting leadership training in this church. So we got to invite them uh, to our house for dinner. And uh, as we were having dinner, they said to Jolene and I, so how are you guys settling into this new church? And we say to them, um, you know, we're just taking time to um, get to know people. And they lovingly say to us, you know, it's a good thing to take time to get to know people, but do not remain on the fringes for too long. You are too good to tag along. I don't usually do this, but I want to invite you to say to somebody next to you, you are too good to just tag along. I sense for some of us this morning, God would say, I see your wounded heart. Receive healing this morning and take risks with people again. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Acts 15, about a young man called John Mark. So John Mark set out on a mission trip with Paul and others. And when the going got tough, he left them and went back home. And in this moment, although Paul would later write in Romans eleven twenty nine 29, that God's gifts and calling are irrevocable, he would not give John Mark a second chance. And were it not for a man called Barnabas, who would not allow John Mark to be a victim of his past, who drew him alongside him, and together they multiplied the mission efforts of the early church. Needless to say that that same John Mark is the young man who wrote the gospel according to Mark. Be patient with failure. Be patient with your own failure. Be patient with others' failure. Embrace a kind vision for yourself. Embrace a kind vision and a kind memory for others. If you look at the whole of the New Testament, it is only but good things 
to say about David. Don't always reference to the bad past. Embrace a kind vision. Be set free this morning. Be empowered this morning. Grace upon grace to you to be all that God has called you to be. Your life is significant and it is rooted in the purposes of God. As I finish, um, I want to read us a poem by C.T. Studd. Can I ask the band to come up um, so they can lead us maybe in that song um, that we sang about, you know, God, uh, the God of revival. So C.T. Studd um, was a missionary to India, China, and Africa, and he was considered for all the cricket enthusiasts out there one of the finest cricketers to come out of England. That his name is etched in the Ashes Trophy. And uh, C.T. Studd wrote uh, this poem. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays, I must fulfill living for self or in his will. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me so, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep 
faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life, only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor bend, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I will say it was worth it all. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. <laughs>